Creating your own reality. Is it possible for me? I am Jennifer Cahill, the Consciousness Architect, and I am here to tell you that it's not only possible, it's closer than you might think. Welcome to the show. We have been so blessed over the last several years to have thought leaders from around the world in a variety of different disciplines, ranging from physicians such as our guest today to pioneers and consciousness scientists. And today is going to be no different. We are going to be talking with an incredible physician, Dr. Eben Alexander, who is going to share with us today a little bit from his best-selling books and his life transformational experience that was a near-death experience and completely and utterly shifted the way he saw the world. So before I formally introduce you to Dr. Alexander, I would love to read to you a little from his bio so you have a better sense of some of the tiny little accomplishments compared to the whole breadth we could get into. We could spend an hour reading all of his incredible accomplishments and accolades that he's received that will kind of condense it down and share with you just a few of them. Dr. Evan Alexander, MD, was an academic neurosurgeon for over 25 years, including 15 years at Brigham and Women's Hospital, Children's Hospital, and Harvard's Medical School in Boston. He experienced a transcendental near-death experience during a week-long coma from an inexplicable brain infection that completely transformed his worldview. He is a pioneering scientist and modern thought leader in the emerging science that acknowledges the primacy of consciousness in the universe. He is the author of the New York Times number one bestseller, Proof of Heaven, The Map of Heaven, and Living in a Mindful Universe. Thank you so much, Dr. Alexander, for joining us today. Well, Jennifer, it's my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, it's such a delight. I love that we were talking beforehand. I always tell everyone we should be recording the show from the minute we hop on because it turns out we both have a lot of mutual acquaintances and dear friends who are in this field of consciousness. And so I thought today's show might be most applicable if we could start by sharing a little bit about your journey from becoming a physician who was entrenched in the materialistic perspective to the individual and the the conscious being, if you will go there, that you are now and discuss how that evolution occurred. Well, I think it's important to point out kind of my origin story. My, uh, uh, my father, my adoptive father was very crucial in my life. And he was a globally renowned uh, neurosurgeon. He had been a combat surgeon in the Second World War in the Pacific Theater. Um, and he came back to this country to head up a neurosurgical training program. So he was always totally into science, neuroscience, every bit of that. But he also had a very strong belief in a loving personal God and the power of prayer. That was important to him in his work as a healer. Uh, and for him, uh, there was never any conflict. Now, for me, growing up in the 60s and 70s, like so many of that generation, I always knew uh, that science is the pathway to truth. And I'm more of a scientist now than I've ever been. But I also realized that the, the materialist science that I worshipped before my coma, and I do not use that term lightly, because, um, you know, reductive materialism is a faith-based religion. Uh, when, you, when you really look at it strongly in this field of consciousness studies. And so I've, I've really come to realize that uh, science is absolutely a pathway to truth, but that uh, uh, little deterministic Newtonian uh, form of uh, 
of materialist science that I worship before coma is false. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I would say that materialism in, in the world of science uh, through quantum physics, uh, materialism has fallen away as uh, inadequate to describe reality for almost a century now. Uh, and unfortunately, many people have not read the memo, but it's, uh, it's absolutely clear from those who study consciousness uh, and realize how important quantum physics is in the whole mind-brain connection and trying to understand how it all works, uh, the more we, we start to realize that there's a much bigger world out there. And it's one that demands much more than just the physical universe for explanation. Uh, and, and this is actually very comforting, good news to human beings, because that materialist science that I worship before coma would have scoffed at you for any statement that you thought you had free will, because they believe it's all chemical reactions, electron fluxes, and the substance in the brain. They give us an illusion of awareness, illusion of free will, but it's all just following the laws of physics, chemistry, and biology, and leading to a world that simply results from those of you know kind of materialist causal principles and that's where free will uh, really comes to the surface is in this modern quantum informed view of consciousness and that's what uh, i came to realize through my journey because in november 2008 uh, i came down with a severe case of bacterial meningoencephalitis it was a gram negative bacteria the worst kind you can have all eight lobes of my brain were affected and it put me in coma for seven days uh, and in fact, there's a medical case report on my medical records. It goes well beyond the statements I made in proof of heaven, uh, because th this was written by three doctors who investigated more than 600 pages of my medical records, were astonished by my recovery. That was the piece that got their attention. And anyone who reviews these medical records with medical knowledge will similarly be astonished. It really has no precedent in uh, medical literature, but that's why it's so important uh, as a case study that helps us realize the brain is not the creator of consciousness. It serves as a filter reducing valve, but what we call consciousness seems to be much more primordial and unified in the universe. And in fact, I would say the universe is self-aware, and this is a property that pre-existed the Big Bang. And sentient beings simply have a, access to that mental layer of the universe. It's a layer of information, assimilation, and integration. Uh, but it, it's not following the simplistic uh, Newtonian deterministic patterns that materialist science would believe in creating consciousness. And that's where I think my experience, my full recovery, which was also a shock to the doctors who wrote the case report, um, really add up to something that's much more uh, than I ever would have thought before. And really, it's all about this notion of consciousness as being much more fundamental in the universe. And uh, that was really what my journey uh, was set out to be back in 2008, with this week in coma and then two months spent recovering from that. Uh, and interestingly enough, as I recovered, um, I came to realize from reviewing medical records, talking over the doctors, that there was no way that that experience could have happened in that brain because that brain was too incapacitated. And that's where it's, my case is so important to the medical community at large. And in fact, for that case report uh, was written, it published in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases, September, 2018 by Dr. Um, Sir Lauren Moore and Bruce Grace in that case report uh, not only makes a strong uh, case that my brain could not have put up any kind of dream or hallucination because it was too damaged, 
but also that my recovery is really unprecedented in the medical literature. And the two are obviously related. And when challenged by the peer reviewers at the Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases, they said, this case is absurd. We don't know of, of people this sick with gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis that then come back with a full recovery over two months, no less. And uh, that's when the physicians who wrote the paper said, well, it's because he had the near-death experience that he was blessed with that recovery. And I think that's the important thing because then the peer reviewer said, oh, okay, now we see, now we get it. And, um, you know, all are aware that there are other cases like Anita Morjani's uh, stage four lymphoma that disappeared after her NDE or Dr. Mary C. Neal, who had a profound near-death experience after or during over 30-minute warm water drowning back in the late 1990s while kay kayaking in Chile. And she had a full recovery. And, and these three cases, mine and those two, uh, like others in the NDE literature, are really inexplicable uh, from a modern Western medical standpoint and demand deeper explanation. And that's exactly what I've spent the 14 years since my coma trying to do is explain how this is all possible. And it's all really good news because it brings to light the true free will of our higher soul and our ability to basically manifest the world of our dreams uh, in living these lives. Evan, it's, it's so powerful to discuss this, especially in these times with, you know, war and and fear and death at all time highs around the world for a myriad of reasons, you know, any anything you can imagine people are dying from every day. And just the other day, I had a few friends over for lunch, and the whole conversation really focused around death and dying. So I'm going to put myself in the mind of the people who are watching right now, and ask you, why? Why some people and not others? Why you? Why Anita? Why this other woman? Why is it that some people can almost be on the brink of death and die, and yet some people who are heartbroken and crushed, they have young children or loved ones or things that we can't even wrap our heads around if we are all consciousness? Why? Well, I, that's a beautiful question, and it really gets down to the whole purpose uh, for existence uh, here on earth. And what I would say is the, the bigger lesson that comes from all this uh, is really one that's very comforting and reassuring, especially in the setting that you're discussing, a setting where we have a tremendous amount of death. I mean, look at COVID. Uh, we're approaching 1 million deaths in the U.S. from COVID over you know, just over two years or so. Uh, and then, of course, the economic collapse, the the parallel kind of explosion of the opioid crisis with more than 100,000 Americans uh, dead of drug overdoses uh, in the 12 months leading up to May of 2021. Uh, and, uh, you know, all these things are very challenging to us. Uh, the the, I think it's something like 260,000 children who have lost a parent or a caregiver in the United States due to COVID. I mean, these are frightening numbers, and they have to do with uh, addressing you know, the nature of death, the nature of a biological body coming to an end. And that's where I think uh, the lessons coming from this, and these are lessons that are, are being assimilated and kind of understood by scientists who study consciousness around the world, uh, really suggest very strongly that these afterlife experiences that people report in NDEs, uh, which are identical to the kind of experiences you have in the hospice literature, that is, people that go on to die, not just have near death, but to go on and die, but their initial stages of entering that in hospice are identical 
to what NDEers report, you know, encountering the souls of departed loved ones who were there in a very real form to escort us over. And the reason they seem so real is because they're really still present. And this is really where it starts to get interesting. And when you broaden our investigation of human experience beyond uh, just near-death experiences to things like shared death experiences, which are identical in quality uh, to near-death, but they usually happen in people who are physiologically normal and healthy. Uh, and near-death experiences, a loved one can be a thousand miles away, their soul gets whisked along on this journey and then comes back as a bystander soul having witnessed a full-blown life review of the one who's leaving the world. Uh, and so these big kind of spiritual journeys, uh, the more we investigate them scientifically, the more we find they have a basis in fact. And they strongly support the reality of afterlife experiences as demonstrating that uh, the uh, conscious awareness does not end with the death of a physical body. And this is absolutely essential to kind of getting the bigger picture. Um, and then when you study hundreds and thousands of these NDEs and shared death experiences and then after death communications, deathbed visions, et cetera, you start to realize that they are telling us something very reassuring and affirming about our relationships with others, that those relationships are the most important things kind of garnering our soul journey uh, in this world. Um, and this is where uh, I think especially I would like to mention the evidence for all of this to be true, uh, which came out last year uh, in a contest. It was run by uh, Robert Bigelow, who's the head of uh, Bigelow uh, Aerospace. And uh, as part of Bigelow Institute of Consciousness Studies, he ran in a contest. And the challenge was to any scientific investigator out there who studies things like near-death experiences, what is the best scientific evidence we have for the continuity of consciousness beyond permanent bodily death? And they received more than a thousand uh, entrants who wanted to get into this contest, but they demanded that the entrants had to demonstrate at least five years of rigorous research interest in the, in the question of the afterlife and of reincarnation, things like that. Um, and then given those stipulations, they had 204, I believe it was, essays that satisfied all their criteria. And of, of those, they chose 29 winners. The winning essays are available at bigelowinstitute.org. They're there for free. All the reading public with an interest in this question should go start reading those essays. The first place essay by Jeffrey Mishlov uh, is actually beautifully written and a masterpiece that really will take anyone from ignorance to an understanding of how the afterlife and reincarnation can be very real aspects of human existence based on scientific investigation. Uh, and then there are 28 more essays in that collection. They all come from different directions, very powerful. But given this body of essays, no one should ever again wonder if there's a reality to this concept of the afterlife and of reincarnation, because it's been settled beyond any reasonable doubt. And you can read the essays that prove that at bigelowinstitute.org. Mm, I love that. And if anybody wants a light read, I know, of course, your book, Proof of Heaven, and um, the book for me that allowed me to open my consciousness up to the possibility that something like this even existed must have been about 10 years or so ago, someone recommended to me Brian Weiss's book, Many Lives, Many Masters. And I remember exactly where I was, even I was literally there. 
and I was reading the book. My sister and nephew were in the other room, and I read the book cover to cover, and I laughed, I cried, and then I was never afraid of death after that. I was like, oh, we're okay. all just unlimited consciousness, that we're just in different forms. And I love Bruce Lipton, who I've had the pleasure of interviewing, and he shared an, an uh, interview I once heard about how it's like a television set. You know, imagine your favorite show on Netflix. Forgive me, I don't watch much TV, but Game of Thrones or whatever <laughs> it might be. It's like, okay, let's say your television breaks. Can you still watch Game of Thrones? Well, yeah, you could watch it on your computer, on your smartphone. You could go get a new TV. And that's like all of our physical forms that we just need to be able to receive whatever mm -hmm. that message is, right? Which is Right. Well, that's, that's, that's a beautiful way of putting it. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the important thing to stress here is that the more we get into the science of this, uh, the more of, of consciousness, I would say, uh, and, and realize there's this consilience of information coming from different directions. For example, the hard problem of consciousness in neuroscience, it was defined by David Chalmers, an Australian philosopher in the mid-1990s. And in many ways, it's an impossible problem for materialist science because it lays out some uh, properties of consciousness that you really just cannot explain from the simplistic materialist position. Then you've got something like the binding problem in the philosophy of mind. Uh, that's this apparent unity of consciousness within an individual. Uh, and that defies the materialist uh, assumption that it's multiple disparate neuronal populations that are all contributing to this thing we call consciousness in the brain. And yet it never seems to be any kind of uh, multi part uh, assemblage as much as a, a uniform awareness of existence. And that is a tremendous problem uh, for those who want to try and push a brain creates consciousness as their model. Then you've got all the evidence for non-local consciousness from the world of parapsychology, uh, the reality of things like telepathy, remote viewing, out-of-body experiences, psychokinesis, distance healing, power of prayer, um, deathbed visions, after-death communications, um, past life memories in children suggestive of reincarnation. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, go to uvadops.org. But these are all examples of consciousness being a much bigger thing than just created by, you know, the three and a half pound gelatinous mass uh, sitting in a warm, dark bath between your ears. So this is about a much bigger, bigger view of consciousness. And of course, the giant contributor to that consilience from all these different lines of inquiry uh, is quantum physics itself, which has been demanding for the better part of a century that we come to an understanding that consciousness is not simply derivative from physical matter in one location and to be considered uh, as, as, you know, de derived from the brain itself, uh, really. And as you point out, there are books, Proof of Heaven starts this uh, discovery journey. Uh, Map of Heaven was my book that really talked about how universal these experiences are. And then, of course, you move into Living in a Mindful Universe that I co-wrote with my life partner, Karen Newell, in 2017. And that's where we really provide the proof of heaven. That is, we tie together the science and the spirituality in a very powerful fashion. And in fact, that book, Living in a Mindful Universe, was endorsed by many of the, of the people who are leading investigators of consciousness around the world. Some of them were also uh, uh, very successful in that Bigelow Institute uh, uh, set of essays. For example, Bernardo Castrup is a big endorser of Living in a Mindful Universe, as are Bruce Grayson, uh, um, uh, Ed Kelly, uh, Jim Tucker, 
and so it really is a, you know, a scientific pathway that we're talking about, but in many ways it demands an acknowledgement of spirituality. And here I would use a very simple definition of spirituality and just say it spirituality for me includes two ingredients. One is the sense that we're all connected through the mind, through the mental layer, uh, and we're connected with the universe. That sense of a God force is something that we have a direct connection with. And not only that, but also the second ingredient is that there's a shared meaning and purpose to our existence, to the transformation and evolution of consciousness, to our growth into this kind of understanding of self uh, is a crucial part of our very existence. And I would say it's a crucial part of the very survival of humanity. When I look at kind of the mindless uh, approach of homo sapiens these days with things like addiction to fossil fuels, uh, climate change, uh, threatened extinction of something like 40% of the world's species, uh, economic polarization with all the wealth at the tip top of the pile. I mean, there are a tremendous number of problems in our modern society that I would say are a direct result of the false sense of separation that's inherent in reductive materialist scientific thinking. That we're all separate beings in competition in some Darwinian sense, as opposed to admitting that what biologists have discovered uh, is really one of collaboration, cooperation as being principles that guide to success in the biological world, not competition is your prime driver. And that is a lesson that our economic and social systems still need to learn. Uh, so this is really about deep lessons of oneness and connectedness, the binding force of love that is so apparent in NDEs, uh, that we're here to show kindness, compassion, and mercy for our fellow beings. And these are all principles that, uh, you know, are not uh, kind of optional, but I would say are absolutely necessary for this world and for humanity at large to survive the current era. Mm, such beautiful points that you raise, Evan. It's uh, it's so incredible how synchronistic this is. You and I were talking before we got online about our mutual friend, Jude Curvin, who recently co-authored with, I think, about 45 other evolutionary leaders, a paper called The Unitive Narrative that was originally written for the United Nations 2030 Sustainability Development Goals. And this paper basically says that, hey, we have a thousand scientific research papers that validate we did not evolve to compete. We evolved to cooperate, to collaborate. Exactly. Nature shows us this in trees through the mycelia networks. There are so many examples of this. And as you just referred to, we're stuck in some of us, and we all go through it, quite frankly, even those of us who spend a lot of time in prayer and meditation and reflection, we still find ourselves in separation consciousness. In fact, as soon as I began collaborating uh, with Jude and this team of leaders on the unitive narrative, and how do we bring that to the world, I began to see all the ways I was not coming from that narrative. I'd be walking down the street and I'd see someone else's dog poop or someone else's trash. And yet, if we're looking at it from a truly unitive perspective, it's not your trash or my trash, it's our trash. It's not your global climate problem or my global climate problem, it's our opportunity. And I think that the moment that we shift and we begin to see the world from a lens of this unitive consciousness, and it begins by seeing all the ways we're not that. Not to be perfect. I want to be very clear. Perfection is not the solution. It gets into more blame, judgment, and separation. It's about elevating the level of consciousness that we've already been blessed with and to see how we can integrate that in a harmonious way into our lives. Well, I think that those are beautiful points. And it really is imperative for this world to wake up 
And I'm very optimistic. I think it's happening. The science I see in the scientific community, uh, I mean, you've got manifestos out there. If people go to uh, Science and Medical Network, uh, for example, uh, <clears throat> Google that and uh, check out their manifesto or go to GalileoCommission.org. Uh, that's a group. Uh, I'm, I'm in both of those groups as a scientific advisor. Um, and, you know, it, it is about so much more than just meditation. Meditation is very important because I use meditation an hour to a day. I use sacred yeah. acoustics. You can learn more at sacredacoustics.com. Very powerful technique for getting deep into uh, uh, traversing that veil and connecting to that one mind, that God force of consciousness. Uh, and we can all do that and bring those lessons back. It's what we glean in meditation or centering prayer, but we can bring that back to this world in the way we live, the way we treat ourselves and others, the choices, the decisions we make uh, in living these lives are very important. And the more we have uh, you know, a conscious, mindful approach to wanting to help others and help this world become a better place for all so that future generations can enjoy peace and harmony, uh, then it is inherent that we uh, take up that uh, mantle of responsibility uh, from what we can see deep in meditation about the oneness that binds us all, uh, the connecting powers, the the uh, uh, utility of, of, of practical value of kindness, kindness, compassion, mercy, acceptance, forgiveness. These are all qualities that can help us live much more harmoniously. And that's where I believe uh, this world can uh, kind of upshift in its uh, performance. Uh, and especially all the challenges that you mentioned early in our conversation, the COVID pandemic, warfare, violence, conflict. I mean, these are all issues that can be solved. Uh, through a much more mindful uh, uh, and kind of heartfelt dealing with our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. And that certainly involves seeing all souls as the beautiful and divine creatures that they are. Mm -hmm. And of course, in these human bodies, we have our flaws, uh, but ultimately we can work together to bring this uh, incredible uh, kind of unity and, and synthesis of kind of spiritual connection to all of our fellow beings into all of our efforts uh, in moving forward. And so things like the power and, uh, uh, you know, uh, electricity, our, our energy needs, communications, transportation, all these things have solutions uh, if we're willing to look uh, that are sustainable and they do not lead to extinction of, of uh, species that have taken literally hundreds of millions of years to evolve together on planet Earth. It's the beautiful uh, living system that we've been gifted. Uh, and yet the way Homo sapiens, sapiens means wise, so I would hope we would rise up to the occasion <laughs> and do a better job of being uh, stewards for this planet. But I believe we can do it. And I believe that what I see in the scientific community over the last decade is a very strong revolution towards this understanding of primacy of consciousness, oneness of mind, and how we're all truly bound together uh, through the force of love. And the more we can admit to that and bring that into our daily living and all of our choices in life, the better this world will be. I, I agree wholeheartedly, Evan. It's it's interesting. I recently had an experience that kind of boggled my mind. I've been in prayer and meditation probably now for maybe almost a decade. 
And one day, you know, I recently discovered in the last few years, I can soul talk, which we all can call it telepathy, call it soul talking. You could do it with people living or deceased, whatever you prefer. Everything is consciousness. And so one day I had heard my uncle was in pain and I was in a meditative state and I just kind of dropped in and I just wanted to reach out because he wasn't easily reachable by telephone at that point. And I just said, you know, Uncle Steve, I love you. I just want you to know I'm thinking about you. Is there anything you need? And without missing a beat, Eben, I heard back clear as day, and the voice always comes from my heart. And he said, Jen, I love you, Jenny. I hope you're well, and you're, I want you to know I'm leaving very soon. You're not allowed to tell my kids this. You can't tell your dad this. And I just want you to know that I love you, and it's my choice. And I kid you not, Eben, three days later, I'm getting ready for bed my time in Portugal. And as I was getting ready for bed, I again got a message from my uncle it's Je um, hi Jenny. It's Uncle Steve. I want you to know I'm about to go, and I love you, and it's okay. And five hours later, my cousins texted me while I was sleeping that he passed away. And I say that because we all have that, though. We all have that. And it's so beautiful. Yeah. It Thank was you for sharing. It is a beautiful gift to share. And the more of those stories I hear, the more <clears throat> it affirms uh, uh, absolutely everything that I'm coming to realize about this oneness of consciousness. This shared mind and that we're all bound together through those forces of love and kindness and compassion. And it's time that we really started to live that more, much more obviously. And that's what I think will make a difference to this world. But thank you so much for sharing that, that beautiful story. And I hear those kind of stories uh, all the time. So to me, it's a beautiful reminder of the reality of our ongoing loving connections uh, and that death of the physical body is not the end. Uh, and of course, another important thing that people often need to hear when, when I discuss reincarnation in the setting, so crucial to point out, because some people worry that their loved one will reincarnate before they cross over, so it would not be available to them. And from my perspective, having seen this from the spiritual side, that could never happen. And it's because the relationships are more important than anything. The, the apparent timing of events, uh, you know, in our flow of earth time in many ways uh, is a fiction that is there to support the unfolding drama. But there's a much deeper ordering of causality that I call deep time that's quite apparent from within the spiritual realm. And that's why you can have things like life reviews, where it's not just remembering your life, but having the events of your life be relived by you uh, in that process of kind of a, a a mid-course correction, and that's all in the purpose of serving, planning for next uh, the challenges of the next lifetime and things like that. Uh, but it really is beautiful to have this much bigger picture of our existence and our connectedness with others, and the fact that our existence is not finite, limited by the death of the physical body. Mm. Uh, I couldn't agree more. I'm so happy that the universe brought our two levels of consciousness uh, together in this space-time to be able to have a conversation you know, it's telepathic conversations are fun, but it's also fun to get to share these conversations with people and, and to know that maybe there's something you said today, Evan, that was an illumination. Maybe it was a spark. We all sometimes just need that little starter flame that gets us going. And I feel like you've given us so much thoughtful wisdom today. And what I love and I really acknowledge you for, Evan, is that you actually shared a lot of wonderful, tangible resources. And I think it's so important for whatever you need for your journey. You might need tangible resources. You might have heard something that Evan said and just it resonated with you and you knew in your heart it was true. And whatever that is, I really acknowledge you for all of your beautiful wisdom that you brought to us today. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. And people can certainly learn more about me and my work at ebenalexander.com. 
uh, about the meditation at sacredacoustics.com. And also, I'd like to just uh, share with uh, your audience, uh, during the pandemic, uh, Karen, my partner, had this beautiful idea, since we all of our jobs were canceled, just to interview the, the various thought leaders of, you know, in consciousness uh, and other experiencers that we would have been seeing at these meetings. And so we interviewed them every two weeks during uh, the most of the pandemic. And those interviews are available for free at unitedinhopeandhealing.com. So I encourage people, invite people to, to visit us at unitedinhopeandhealing.com. And uh, you'll find there's several avenues there of engagement, uh, but that includes that whole set of interviews available for free. Uh, and many of those people are thought leaders in the modern science of consciousness movement. And I also wanted to point out as well, Evan, I believe your publicist had sent me another special gift that we can put in the show notes of a 33-day program. Does that sound right? Absolutely. Saying. Yes, I, I love that. It's uh, it's something. It's actually a companion workbook to uh, Living in a Mindful Universe that came out in 2017. <clears throat> but with that, we started this global community, and that's, as you point out, at evanalexander.com, there's a little banner, 33-day journey into the heart of conscious. Click on that, put in your first name, email address, and you're off and running. And for 33 days, you'll receive an email each day, each one containing uh, one kind of nugget or topic from that book, Living in the Mind for Universe. But the best thing about it is we have a comment section on each of these pages, and more than 10,000 people from around the world have joined us in this 33-day course over the last uh, almost five years now. Uh, and they're leaving their own comments. They're helping each other. It's really started a beautiful community. But by the time you finish that 33-day journey, you will clearly have a much uh, grander idea of the modern science of consciousness studies and how it supports every bit of this. But thanks for reminding me that 33-day journey is a real uh, it's one of my favorite aspects of the EvanAlexander.com website is that 33-day journey. It's helped a lot of people. Mm, incredible, Evan. Well, any closing thoughts, any last little bite of wisdom or anything you'd like to share that I didn't get to ask you before we close today's show? Well, I think the main thing I'd like to say is no soul left behind. Mm. This really is a revolution in human thought. Uh, and destiny that I would say encompasses an epoch of more than five, six, seven thousand years. A tremendous amount of human energy and activity and thought has gone into this uh, this revolution. In fact, many of the conclusions that modern science is coming to about oneness and that uh, healing force of love and the binding force of love uh, are really truths that have been known to spiritual traditions, both East and West, going back thousands of years. So in many ways, it's just a consolidation and a, a realization of some of the deep wisdom that has been there with humanity all along. And as we refine our edges of scientific truth and objective shared knowledge about the universe around us, what we find is a tremendous amount of it supports these emerging uh, visions of the oneness of mind and of the shared purpose of love, compassion, kindness, uh, being right there at the heart of all of our endeavors. Uh, and no one is left out of this equation. Don't think that you've got some other task in this universe. Uh, we're really all kind of charged with this beautiful mission of kind of coming to a deeper understanding of why we exist and where this is all headed. Mm. 
Incredible, Evan. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. Again, I am Jennifer K. Hill, and when I'm not here hosting TV shows, you can also find the platform that we created, om-heals.com, where we use our custom-made algorithm to match you with energy medicine practitioners from around the world. We now have over 70 practitioners from every continent except Antarctica. So if you want to find out who you match with for free, you can go to om-heals.com and learn a little bit more about energy medicine as well. So thank you so much for being here with us and much love to everyone. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining us today for another episode of Regarding Consciousness with Jennifer K. Hill. We would love it if you would take a moment and write a review for us or rate us on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And if you'd like to stay in touch and find out about upcoming events with some of the amazing guests we've had on the show, like Deepak Chopra and other world thought leaders, feel free to join my email list at metabizics, M-E-T-A-B-I-Z-I-C-S dot com. Again, that's metabizics.com. And you can go ahead and join our email list there. Thanks so much. And we look forward to having you join us next week.